We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the first piece in Hilchus Bikurim. This is Parak Beis Halacha Yud Gimel. One of the prerequisites for bringing Bikurim is that a person has to own land in Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Chaim is going to analyze a debate between the Rambam and the Ravid concerning someone who owns trees, at what point do they have rights to the ground underneath it? The Rambam rules, If somebody buys one tree in a field, they do not bring Bikurim because they only own the tree. They do not have any rights to the ground. If somebody buys three trees, then they do have ownership of the ground underneath them. Even though they only own the tree, so it was clearly stipulated that they do not own the ground. Still, we still consider it halachically as if they do have ownership of the ground underneath the trees. Now the Ravid disagrees and he says, no, the difference between one tree and three trees is that in general when someone buys three trees, the unstated assumption is that they own the ground underneath the trees. But in Purish below Karka, you know, maybe if somebody stipulated explicitly that they're not going to own the ground, they only own the three trees, then they do not have to bring Bikurim. So there's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivin in a case where someone bought three trees, but only the trees, not including the ground underneath them. Do we assume that there's some ownership of the ground? Or can someone own three trees without owning the ground between them? And the distinction, as we said, is going to be whether they're obligated to bring Bikurim because you must own some of the ground in order to be obligated in Bikurim. Now, Rab Chaim's going to explain the Rambam's position a bit differently than it seems on the surface. And he says that the Rambam is not telling us a halacha with regards to ownership regarding whether someone owns the ground of the trees that they buy, but rather the Rambam's telling us a Bikurim halacha. In other words, the Rambam and the Ravid both agree with the basic facts of this case and how much of the land he owns, but the debate is what are the parameters of Bikurim, how much do you have to own the land in order to be obligated in Bikurim. So Rab Chaim explains that the Rambam agrees that when a person buys three trees, they do not own the ground underneath it outright. But what they do have is an eternal right to replant on this ground. So even if those trees die, they can replant another tree. And according to Rab Chaim's reading of the Rambam, that is sufficient to obligate them in Bikurim. Even if they don't actually own the land, but the eternal right to be able to plant the tree would obligate in Bikurim. And that's why in the case of three trees, the farmer is obligated to bring Bikurim because he has that eternal right of the land with regards to the trees. And if you read the Rambam carefully, that's effectively what he says, because he admits that that this farmer only owns the trees. He does not own the land. But what that means is he doesn't own the land outright. He owns the land with regard to any rights of planting trees, and that is sufficient to obligate in Bikurim. So the Rambam is not expanding his ownership of the ground, but he's expanding the parameters of who's obligated to bring Bikurim and what suffices to be considered land ownership with regard to Bikurim. Now, this approach opens up a problem with regard to someone who bought one tree, because in that case, even though they don't own eternal rights to replant the tree, once the tree dies, it's over, but they do have temporary rights to nurture their tree from this ground. So that, says Rab Chaim, should at least be considered Kenyan Peros, someone who owns the produce of the tree, even if they don't own the tree itself. Now, in the case of someone who has Kenyan Peros, 
So the Gemara in Babasra and Dafkuflamidvav rules that they do have to bring Bikurim. They just don't recite the Psukim that go along with Bikurim. Because the Psukim thank God for giving him land. So unless someone really owns the land outright, they can't say the Psukim. So with regards to Kenyan Peros, the Gemara says that it's enough of an ownership to obligate in Bikurim, but they would not recite the Psukim. As opposed to in the case where someone owns one tree, so the Rambam following the Rishalmi in Bikurim Parak Aleph rule that they don't even have to bring Bikurim. But according to Rab Chaim's theory, they should have to bring Bikurim because owning one tree, even though it's a temporary right, but it is the right to own the produce of this ground. So that should be like Kenyan Peros. They should have to bring Bikurim even if they can't read the Psukim. So this is a problem with Rab Chaim's approach because when it comes to the case of the farmer who bought one tree, it seems to be modeled on actual outright ownership. It doesn't seem to be modeled on the idea of who owns the usage of this land. So Rab Chaim has two approaches to distinguish between buying one tree versus a Kenyan Peros. And they're both similar, but there's a nuanced difference between them. But both of them indicate that when someone buys one tree, they don't even own the land for its usage towards that tree. So it's even less than a Kenyan Peros. The first way Rab Chaim formulates this is that when somebody buys one tree, they don't have any rights to the land at all. They only have rights to the nutrients that come from the land. So that's different than a Kenyan Peros where they do own the produce from this tree. Here, all they own are the nutrients which are going to come from the land into the tree. And that's totally different than three trees where they actually have rights to use the land to replant the trees if they die. So that is an ownership in the land itself. It's even higher than Kenyan Peros. So that's why they're fully obligated in Bikurim. So that explains the distinction between three levels. If someone owns three trees, they're fully obligated in Bikurim. If they only own the produce of the tree, they're obligated in Bikurim without the Psukim. And if they only own one tree, which means all they have in the land is the right to the nutrients, then they don't have to bring Bikurim at all. The second formulation is similar to the first one, but it's even a step further. And Rab Chaim says that when somebody buys one tree, not only do they not own the land at all, they don't even have rights to the nutrients of the land. But there's a separate technical rule that because this person bought one tree, so if the owners don't allow them to leave the tree in the land, it's going to die. It would be worthless. So the owners have to allow them to use the land in order to sustain the tree. But the buyer has no rights whatsoever to the land or its nutrients. It's only that the owner can't destroy the tree. So because of that, the tree is able to live in this ground. But that's why the buyer is really considered totally removed from the ground and they don't even have to bring Bikurim at all because it's even less than a Kenyan Peros. They don't own anything having to do with this land, not even the produce from the land. They only own the tree. Rab Chaim even compares it to someone who goes to the store and buys fruit. It's the same lack of any land ownership. So that's why they don't have to bring Bikurim at all. As opposed to a Kenyan Peros, where there is some ownership of the produce of this tree, so there the buyer has to bring Bikurim without the Psukim. And of course, when they own three trees, so then there is a connection to the ground because they own the rights to replant trees. And that's even higher than a Kenyan Peros. It's like a Kenyan Aguf. So that's why they have to bring Bikurim with the Psukim. 
And Rab Chaim points out that this essential idea that someone who owns one tree is even less than a Kenyan Peros is not original to him, but it comes from Tosos and Baba Basra and Dafchav Zayin and Aleph. Tosos has two ways to formulate how little someone who buys one tree owns. One is based on the idea that if the tree dies, they can't replant it. And the second is that they only have Yenika Bilvad, they only have the nutrients, but they don't have any ownership. And the Rashba in Gitin and Daf Mem Aleph also says the same idea, and he's the one that uses this phrase that Reb Chaim borrowed, that owning one tree is like going to the store and buying the fruit. So it's even less than a Kenyan Peros. Now, coming back to Bikurim, so Rab Chaim points out, as we said, that the Rambam is not telling us new information about how much ground a buyer of three trees owns. But what the Rambam is saying, that since that person owns the right to replant trees, so they do have some rights in this land, that is sufficient with regards to Bikurim, that it's as if they have a Kenyan Haguf, they own some of the land, and they have to bring Bikurim with the Psukim. And now, according to Rab Chaim's interpretation of the Rambam, so he answers the Ravid's question from the case where the seller explicitly stipulated that they're only selling three trees, but they are not selling the ground. So the Ravid argues that that should be the equivalent of the case where the buyer only bought one tree. In both cases, he has no ownership over the land, so he should not have to bring Bikurim. But the implication of the Rambam is that in that case too, if he bought three trees, he has to bring Bikurim, even though he does not own the land at all. So the Ravid wants to know what's the difference between a case where someone bought one tree versus where they bought three trees, but it was clearly stipulated that they do not own the land at all. So Rab Chaim answers that according to his approach, that the key factor is not whether the buyer owns the land outright, but rather whether he owns the usage of the land to replant trees if they die, and that's sufficient to be considered ownership for Bikurim. So then you could answer the Rambam very nicely, based on the Gemara in Babasra and Daflamid Zion, in this very case where somebody sold trees, but they stipulated that the land is not included in it. So the Gemara records a machlok between Rabbi Akiva and the Rabbanan as to how expansively a seller intends to make the sale. Rabbi Akiva holds that he means the sale to be more broadly, so the buyer does have some rights to the land. Now Tosus explains that the case of the Gemara is where he sold him three trees, but he stipulated that there's no land included in it. And according to Rabbi Akiva, it's an expansive sale in the sense that if the trees die, the buyer can and plant new ones in their place. And the halacha follows Rabbi Akiva. So this is exactly our case where somebody bought three trees, but it was clearly stipulated that there's no land included in the sale. And still the halacha following Rabbi Akiva is that if one of the trees dies, the buyer can plant a new one in its place. So if that's the criteria the Rambam applied for the chiyuv of Bikurim, then it would come out that even in the case where he explicitly stipulated that he's not selling the land, and the buyer still has the equivalent of a Kenyan Haguf, the highest level of ownership, because he does own the land in the sense that he can replant if one of the trees dies, even though he doesn't own the land outright. But as Reb Chaim's been saying throughout, that's not the criteria for Bikurim. It's a lower level criteria that the person has the right to replant if a tree dies. And that applies even in a case where it was explicitly stated that there's no land in the sale, so long as the person purchased three trees, 
he has the right to replant if one of them dies. So this would answer the Rambam from the Ravid's critique, even though it's true that the person clearly does not own land, because in the sale it was explicit that there's no land, but for Bikurim they are considered to own the land because the halacha is that they could replant trees using that land. Now, Reb Chaim points out that this last step is based on the way Tosos reads Rabbi Akiva's position in the Gemara in Bab Basra, Daflamid Zion, but the Rambam does not seem to read it that way. He seems to have had a different interpretation because he doesn't record the halacha that if someone buys three trees, even without any land, they can replant in it in the halachas of sales. So it sounds like he read that Gemara differently, not like Tosos's interpretation. But still, says Rab Chaim, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Rambam disagrees with Tosus's ruling in that case, even if he read the Gemara literally in a different way. But in the case that Tosus raises, he might have agreed with Tosus. We have no indication that there's something in the Rambam which disputes Tosus's position on this. So we can still say this approach in the Rambam, even though he himself does not say it explicitly based on the way Tosus reads the Gemara. And now the last few lines, Rab Chaim summarizes his approach in the Rambam, that in all cases where someone bought three trees, they are fully obligated in Bikurim. Either there was no stipulation to exclude the land, in which case there's an implicit understanding that the buyer owns the land related to those three trees. And if one of the trees dies, they can replant a tree on any of the related land. So that, according to the Rambam, is sufficient to obligate them in Bikurim, because if somebody owns the rights to plant or to use this land, then that is considered ownership with regard to Bikurim. Or even in the Ravid's more extreme example, where it was explicitly stated that the buyer does not own the land, but that just means that they can't plant a new tree in a different area of that land. But on the same exact spot where the old tree died, they are still allowed to replant their tree. So that is again enough to obligate them in Bikurim. So even though there is a minor difference between the case where the land was implicitly included in the sale or if it was explicitly excluded from the sale, the difference is if a tree dies, whether the buyer has to replant it in exactly the same spot or they can plant it in the general vicinity just a little bit over. But both cases are enough that they're considered owners with regards to Bikurim because they have the rights to plant and the rights to use the land, and that's considered a Kenyan Haguf with regards to Bikurim. So that would answer the Ravid's question from the case where someone bought three trees, but explicitly the land was not included. How could the Rambam obligate them in Bikurim when they clearly don't own the land? And the answer is that ownership with regards to Bikurim means the right to use and to plant in the land, and that they do have. So this is Rab Chaim's analysis of the Rambam. The key conceptual point that he's developing is that the halacha is that someone needs to have ownership of land in order to be obligated in Bikurim. But the Rambam Rambam understands that not as full outright ownership, but rather as the ability to plant in and to use the land as they want. And based on that, Rab Chaim develops three levels of ownership in these cases. The highest is where someone buys three trees. So even though they don't own the land outright, that's still the equivalent of a Kenyan Haguf, as if they do own the land because they have the rights to the land. 
The second level is the Kenyan Peros, where they own the produce that comes from this tree. So in that case, they're obligated to bring Bikurim, but they don't recite the Psukim. And the lowest level is where they just buy one tree, where they have no rights to use or plant on the land. So that's the equivalent of as if they bought fruit from the store. Now, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Ben Ochaim Alevi, they have a note from Rav Shach, and he found something interesting, which is the whole approach that Rav Chaim develops in this piece, he was preceded in it by the Nachlas David, Rav David Tevel, who was the Rav of Minsk, and one of the most prominent students of Rav Chaim's great-great-grandfather, Rav Chaim of Valozhin, who he was named after. And the Nachlas David died in 1861, when Rav Chaim was eight years old. So he got there first. In his Chuvas, which are published at the beginning of the volume on Baba Kama and Baba Metzia and Simon Memvav, he articulates the same basic approach as Rab Chaim to understanding this Rambam. But the Nachlas David adds to his formulation of this approach something important, which Rab Chaim does not do, and that is he engages with the Kesef Mishnah's commentary on the Rambam here, because the Kesef Mishnah does adopt the view that the Rambam is dealing with the regular laws of ownership, and he's fitting them into the laws of Bikurim, but when the Rambam says that someone who buys three trees has to bring Bikurim, it does imply a level of ownership of the land. Now, the Kesef Mishnah also picks up on the line that Rab Chaim made a big deal of, that the Rambam says, Afal pisha lo ela ilanos, that he only owns the trees. So that indicates that he does not own the land at all, which also contradicts what the Rambam just wrote before that, that if he buys three trees, then yesh lo karka, he does own land. So the Kesef Mishnah is aware of this problem, and he offers two ways to resolve it. The first is his own, and he explains that when the Rambam says that he doesn't own the land, he means that based on the halachas that the Rambam himself codified in Hilchus Mechira, Perak Chav Dalid, there's a long list of halachas that need to be met for someone who buys three trees to also own the land. But there's all sorts of exceptions to those rules. So the Kesef Mishnah says that what the Rambam is trying to say in Hilchus Bikurim is that even if he doesn't own the land under the laws of Mechira, because there's some sort of exception, but that's still enough ownership with regards to Bikurim that he's obligated to bring Bikurim. So the way the Kesef Mishnah formulates it, the Rambam is distinguishing between ownership in Hilchus Mechira and ownership in Hilchus Bikurim, which is similar to what Rab Chaim argued, but the Kesef Mishnah's distinction is much more practical. Meaning the Rambam is saying that even if it doesn't meet every technicality for the buyer to take ownership of the land, it's still sufficient to be obligated in Bikurim because the general idea of the Halacha is that the buyer does own that land. So that's the Kesef Mishnah's way of reading the Rambam. Again, the key factor is who has ownership of the land, but what the Rambam is saying is that if someone buys three trees, they overall own the land, even if it doesn't meet some technicality, but it's enough in Hilchus Bikurim that they're obligated to bring Bikurim. And then the Kesef Mishnah quotes a second approach from the Mari Korkis, which also assumes that Bikurim requires real ownership of the land. And the Mari Korkis explains that when the Rambam says that the buyer doesn't own the land, he just means that he didn't explicitly buy the land. Not that it was explicitly excluded, but it wasn't mentioned at all in the deal. So the Rambam is trying to say that if someone buys three trees, they automatically own the land, 
even if they didn't explicitly say so, because that's the assumption. Now, obviously, if the seller explicitly excluded the land from the sale, then the buyer doesn't own the land. So in that case, the Rambam would agree that the farmer doesn't bring Bikurim because they have no ownership of the land. But the Rambam is not talking about that case. He's talking about either the case where the land was explicitly included in the sale, or when the Rambam says that the buyer doesn't own land, that just means that he didn't explicitly buy it, but the assumption is that he does own it. So again, the Mari Kurkis, like the Kesef Mishnah, preserves the basic idea that in order to be obligated in Bikurim, one needs to have actual ownership of the land. And in addition, both of them seem to agree that the Rambam would agree with the Ravid that if the land was explicitly excluded from the sale, then the buyer is not obligated in Bikurim. So the case that the Ravid asked from, where the seller explicitly excluded the land from the sale, and the Rambam seemed to imply that still the buyer is obligated in Bikurim. So the Mari Kurkis and the Kesef Mishnah both answer that no, the Rambam would agree in that case that the buyer is not obligated in Bikurim. Now, the Nachlas David questions both of these approaches because he asks, what does it mean in the Kesef Mishnah that even though this buyer doesn't practically own the land, they theoretically would own the land in a related similar case? Here we're dealing with who practically owns the land, not with who might theoretically own the land. So what relevance is it that in related cases, the person does own the land? And on the Mari Kurkis's approach, he asks that it doesn't seem to fit in nicely to the Rambam's language because the Rambam doesn't say that he didn't explicitly buy the land. He says, Ain lo ela ilanos. He only owns the trees, not the land. So it doesn't sound like the Rambam is saying that he does own the land. He just didn't explicitly buy it. So because he's dissatisfied with the Kesef Mishnah and the Mari Korkis's approaches, that's why the Nachlas David goes in a whole different direction. And he comes up with the same idea that Rab Chaim would later develop, also based on Rabbi Akiva's position in the Gemara and Baba Basra. And he also suggests that when the halacha says that a farmer has to own land to be chayiv and bikurim, it doesn't mean full ownership, but rather it means that they have the right to replant if the tree dies. So that's why the Rambam holds that in all cases where someone bought three trees, even if they don't own the land, but since the halacha allows them to replant if the tree dies, they're obligated in bikurim. And that would answer the Ravid's question, not that the Rambam agrees with the Ravid, but because of this approach, he disagrees disagrees with the Ravid and holds that even where the land was explicitly excluded from the sale, still, because the buyer is able to replant a tree, they would be obligated in Bikurim. So in sum, the idea that Rab Chaim developed, that ownership with regards to Bikurim is different. It's a lower level than regular financial ownership. That is a debate. The Kesef Mishnah and the Mari Korkis disagree. They hold that to be obligated in Bikurim, one needs to actually own the land, but the Nachlas David and Rab Chaim hold that it's a different level of ownership than regular financial ownership.